The Los Angeles Chargers were defeated by the Las Vegas Raiders 31 to 26. And this was once again another loss that was decided by one possession. That the Chargers were not able to come out on top with the victory. And you can't even blame Justin Herbert for this loss. Um he was 28 to 42 for 326 pass yards, two touchdowns, and the most important thing no turnover. So Justin Herbert played an incredible game, a flawless game, that he didn't have any turnovers, and the Chargers still lost this game by one possession. And when you look at a team that struggles to win games that are close, that is pretty much a reflection on the coaching staff. Let me tell you something. The teams that can win the close games the majority of the time are teams that have great coaches, like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Everybody criticizes the Pittsburgh Steelers for always being in close games, but they're 8 0. Okay? Good teams are able to win close games. Bad teams with coaches that aren't good aren't able to do those. So when you look at Anthony Lynn and you once again suffer another loss that is decided by a game that has came down to one possession, you got to look at Anthony Lynn. You got to ask yourself is the hot seat heating up? Because this could be another situation that, once again, the Chargers waste another franchise caliber quarterback like they did with Phillip Rivers. So if you're the L.A. Chargers and you're in that front office, you got to be looking at Anthony Lynn really closely because this is a team that right now could be in playoff contention. But since they can't win the close games, they're 2-6. and six. And this is a football team that, although they're 2-6, and six, they're way better than what their record indicates. But the reason why they're 2-6 and six is because they can't win games that are decided by one possession or less. So for the Chargers, I do think that a hot seat could be heating up for Anthony Lynn because there are a lot of coaches right now that could win those close games. I could look at Justin Herbert and the way he's played so far and be like, man, give me a crack at it. I guarantee I can get the Chargers to the playoffs. So for Anthony Lynn, that hot seat has to be heating up. And remind you that there was already a little bit of questions about Anthony Lynn concerning his job security going into the season. The only reason Anthony Lynn still has a little bit of leverage or why he should still remain the head coach for the Chargers is because, one, you have a young quarterback in Justin Herbert. And when you have a young quarterback, the best way to mess up a young quarterback is by going through several head coaches and by having several changes on the coaching staff. So the best way for a young quarterback to develop is by maintaining the same coaching staff and not going through several head coaches. Another reason why Anthony Lynn's job, why he can still say he deserves to be the head coach for the LA Chargers is because of how he got the Chargers to the playoffs a couple of years back. But I mean, you look at the Chargers now, a team that can't win games that are decided by one possession. If you can't win games that are decided by one possession, then I mean, why are you even coaching in the NFL? Because majority of the games that are played in the NFL are decided by seven points or less. This isn't college football when the best team wins by two touchdowns or more. Like in the NFL, teams at best, if you're a team like Kansas City and you're actually one of the best teams in the NFL, at best you win a game by like 10 points or more. But even then, almost every single game in the NFL is decided by seven points or less. So almost every single game being played every single Sunday in the NFL comes down to one possession. And if you can't win those one possession games, you're not going to have a lot of success in the NFL. So the Chargers lost to the Broncos a week back, 31-30, which was a game that they should have won. They should have been the Saints. They should have been the Las Vegas Raiders. They should have been the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but Justin Herbert had a handful of turnovers in that game. But it's no excuse for why the Chargers lost to the Raiders. It was just a complete letdown. Justin Herbert didn't turn the football over at all. So you can't use that excuse. You can't say, well, Justin Herbert, you got to give him a little bit of the blame, JT, because he had a couple of turnovers. Like, you can't say that at all. He had no turnovers. He had no fumbles, no interceptions. He played a great game. And the Chargers still lost. So you got to look at that coaching staff. And the coaches that can't win these one-possession games the majority of the time, they're not good coaches. A good example of that is Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia has been notoriously known for not being able to win close one-possession games with the Detroit Lions, always choking multiple four-quarter leads. Same thing with Dan Quinn. 
Dan Quinn with the Atlanta Falcons. They couldn't hold on to big leads and they couldn't win close one possession games. So when you have a team that can't win one possession games, that comes down to the coaches. And also, you got to give blame to the players. The players have to execute better. But, but the majority of the time, it comes down to the coaches. So Anthony Lynn, I think that hot seat has to be heating up. Now, will he be fired at the end of the season? I don't know. Would I fire Anthony Lynn? I don't really know right now. I think it's a little bit too early to tell. I think I need to see a little bit more out of Anthony Lynn. I want to see if he can get this thing um, turned around because, I mean, you can make the argument say that, well, at least the Chargers are in games, which is true. But, I mean, almost every single team, no matter how bad they are, are in one-possession games. Like, look at the New York Jets, for example. They lost the New England Patriots. That was a game that was decided by one possession. The bad teams in the NFL are bad because the majority of the times they can't win those close games. And in the NFL, almost every single game that you're going to play is going to be close. So if you can't win these close games, then why are you even coaching in the NFL? So I don't really know how I feel about Anthony Lynn right now. I'll be honest with you guys. You have to give Anthony Lynn an eyeball right now. His job security should be well in question. And when you look at the Chargers' re success, they haven't really had any ever since that brief playoff appearance they had a few years ago, in which they got smacked by the Patriots in the divisional round. So I think there is a little bit of concern when it comes to Anthony Lynn's job security for the LA Chargers. And it's a little bit unfortunate because I like their offensive coordinator. I like the quarterback's coach in Pelp Hamilton. I believe that Pelp Hamilton has been a really big um support. And why Justin Herbert has been so great this season. And I made a video in the offseason saying that Pell Pendleton being the quarterback coach for Justin Herbert is going to benefit Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers. So if you get rid of Anthony Lynn, you're pretty much going to get rid of Pell Pendleton, the guy who I feel who, a guy in Pell Pendleton who I feel has been really essential to Justin Herbert's constant development and growth as a rookie quarterback in the NFL. So you get rid of Justin Herbert, you're once again going to be bringing in a new head coach. And the best way to ruin a young quarterback is by bringing in multiple head coaches. Look at Marcus Mariota. Teams that go through several head coaches year in and year out aren't able to develop quarterbacks. So for the Chargers, I think there is room for I'm concerned to question Anthony Lynn's job security. And I do think that that hot seat is heating up. Now, is this hot seat as hot as Matt Patricia and Adam Gase's? I don't think it is. But I do think it's a little bit hot. I think it's hot enough that when he sits, he has to blow on it. I think it's hot every time he has to sit down. He has to <laughs> he has to give a little bit of blow, a little bit of air on that thing, just so that thing doesn't heat up completely. But if he keeps on with the Chargers losing these one-possession games, I think the hot seat is going to heat up. And I wouldn't be surprised if the LA Chargers end up making a coaching change at the end of the season if they're not able to get this thing turned around. Let's start off the podcast by talking about the Detroit Lions. It is time for the Detroit Lions to clean house. Now, this is going to be the last time I have a full segment dedicated to talking about the Detroit Lions. So for the remainder of 2020, I would not be talking about the Detroit Lions on this podcast unless they're going to be playing in a game that I'm going to be covering for that week, giving my preview and prediction for, or if they have some big breaking news, like if they get rid of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. Those would be the only two times I talk about the Detroit Lions. But in terms of having a full segment on this podcast dedicated to talking about the Detroit Lions, you would not be seeing that happening for the remainder of 2020 unless the given circumstances occur that I just talked about. And the reason for that is because what I'm about to say about the Detroit Lions, I have already said before. If you've been subscribed to the channel, if you've been listening to the podcast ever since the offseason, I've been saying that Matt Patricia is not the right head coach to get the Detroit Lions to the promised land. And for all of you guys who are wondering, JT, what podcast, I figured this would be a good time to plug in my podcast. For those of you guys that don't know, every video that's uploaded on this YouTube channel is available on all podcast platforms so you guys can listen to the audio version because I know some of you guys like to listen to my videos when you're driving to work and when you're at work and sometimes you may not always be able to access YouTube so that's why I have every single video uploaded on this YouTube channel is available in audio format on every single podcast and platform Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. All you got to do is type in JT Sports Podcast. It should pop up. Or you can click the link down in the description in the comment section down below to go ahead and check it out. So it's time for the Detroit Lions to clean house. They need to part ways to Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. The Lions just recently lost to the Minnesota Vikings this past week. And during that game, there was a play that Dalvin Cook ran for a 70-yard touchdown where the Detroit Lions only had 10 men on the field. Now, commonly, you see teams have 12 men on the field, but you don't really see a lot of teams have 10 men on the field. And that play right there just showed me that it is time, if it hasn't been already, for the Lions to part ways with Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. Okay, now, do they have to do it right now? No, they don't. Because here's why you shouldn't get rid of Matt Patricia right now. Because at best, the Detroit Lions, maybe they turn the season around and they make it to the playoffs. But being realistic, you keep Matt Patricia, he isn't going to win you that many more games this year. So you can end up having a high top 10 draft pick, maybe a top 5 draft pick if you keep Matt Patricia and then get rid of him at the end of the year. But it is time for the Detroit Lions to clean house, no matter when they do it or how it happens. They need a clean house. They need to burn this thing down to the ground and they just need to have a complete clean slate. They just need to have a new staff, a new coaching staff, a new regime, a new front office. Everything has to go. It needs to be a clearance sign on the Detroit Lions headquarters saying that, hey, we're having a blowout sale. Everything must go. You ever saw a store like Kmart that was about to close down, so they just have a big sale when they sell everything before the store ends up closing? That's what the Detroit Lions need to do right now. There needs to be a big clearance sale on the Detroit Lions headquarters, wherever it's located, saying that everything must go. We're about to close down. That's what the Detroit Lions need to do. The Detroit Lions owner, they need to burn this thing down to the ground and rebuild it and start over. They need to part ways with Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. Let me tell you guys something. In the three years that Matt Patricia has been the head coach for the Detroit Lions, that's including this season. He's on his third year right now. He has a record of 12, 27, and 1. And did you know that Matt Patricia, during his three-year tenure so far as the Lions head coach, there are 2-13 against NFC North opponents during his tenure. His only two wins in this division since he's been a head coach for the Lions have came against the Green Bay Packers twice in 2018. So you have a coach that can't win in his division. And if you have a coach that can't win in his division... The majority of the time, you're not going to make it to the playoffs because the teams that make it to the playoffs are able to win the games against the teams that they are up against in their division. So you have a coach that can't win in the division. You have a coach that gets outcoached almost every single week. And for Bob Quinn, you got to get rid of him too. Remember that Bob Quinn got rid of Jim Caldwell because 9-7 wasn't good enough. And when they said 9-7 wasn't good enough, that led me to believe that Bob Quinn is going to be looking for a guy to take this franchise to the next level. And when you say 9-7 isn't good enough, that means that your expectations have risen. So you bring in Matt Patricia, and when the level of expectation was 9-7 wasn't acceptable anymore, that means 10 wins were better. And ever since Bob Quinn hired Matt Patricia, the Lions haven't even had a winning season. So you need to get rid of Bob Quinn. You need to get rid of Matt Patricia. And you need to rebuild this thing from the ground up. Okay, I don't need to see any more Matt Patricia. And I was telling Detroit Lions fan this. Unless you commit to a rebuild, you don't need to see a coach for more than three years. It doesn't take three, four years to rebuild a team. Look at Kyle Shanahan at the 49ers since that's the example that everybody was trying to compare the Detroit Lions to before the season began. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch came to the agreement that this was going to be a rebuild, okay? You didn't have John Lynch come down and say that, oh, 9-7 isn't good enough here, or 8-8 isn't good enough here. You never heard John Lynch say that out of his mouth. But I heard Bob Quinn say that, and when Bob Quinn said that, I was under the level of expectation that, hey, the Detroit Lions were going to try to win 10 games or more. But you hired Matt Patricia, and then all of a sudden you go into rebuild mode. And I don't understand why you got to rebuild a roster that just went 9-7 back-to-back years in a row. A roster that was a playoff caliber roster for the past, what, three couple of years under Caldwell. So I don't really understand why they had to go in rebuild mode. But anyway, 
Bob Quinn lies to Detroit Lions fans. He says that 9-7 isn't good enough. So what happens when you say 9-7 isn't good enough? Are you bringing a coach and you rebuild after saying 9-7 isn't good enough? Does that make any sense? It sounds like Bob Quinn is a walking contradiction because you say 9-7 isn't good enough, but you bring in Matt Patricia, and what you guys do, instead of trying to get to applause, it seems like you guys would just want to go ahead and have a rebuild mentality. Doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. So... It's time for Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn to get out of Detroit. We've seen enough out of those two guys. Matt Patricia, if he gets on fire by the Detroit Lions, he can go back to New England. I'm pretty sure Bill Belichick will welcome Matt Patricia with open arms back to his role previously as a D.C. for New England. And for Bob Quinn... Um, I don't know where he's going to go from here. I don't know. Maybe he get hired as like a scout or something like that. I don't really know. But all I know is that... Whoever is the owner for the Detroit Lions need to go ahead, get that Kleenex, go ahead and spray it, get a little wet rag, and you need to wipe the slate clean of everybody in that Detroit front office. Get rid of the coaching staff, the medical staff, everybody. Get rid of everybody for this Detroit Lions organization and start a new era, start a new regime because that's what the Detroit Lions need right now. Hell, maybe you even bring back Jim Caldwell. You know, because, I mean, he was winning games. At least he could win inside the division, unlike Matt Patricia. So let me tell you something that's weird. What's weird is that I forgot, and it seems like a lot of people forgot, that the New Orleans Saints are a Super Bowl caliber football team, that they are Super Bowl contenders. And what's crazy about that is because before the season began, the Saints were a popular pick to make it out of the NFC and represent the NFC Conference in this upcoming year's Super Bowl. That was before the season began. Then they destroyed the Buccaneers week one, 34-23. And after that, it seems like they kind of disappeared from the Super Bowl conversation in terms of teams that could be Super Bowl contenders. And now it takes a couple of weeks later for them to destroy the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football, 38-3, for people to now remember, oh, golly. The Saints are a Super Bowl caliber football team. And I am a culprit of that because I've been heavily critical of the Saints this year. I've been heavily critical of their offense. I've been heavily critical of their defense. And their offense was without Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas only played in two games so far this season. Ironically, both of those games were against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. After week one, he was injured for the next couple of weeks. He made his first appearance back ever since week one against the Buccaneers. Week nine on Sunday Night Football. They also had a couple of games about Emmanuel Sanders. They had a couple of key guys on defensive line injured as well. So now that the Saints are now getting back fully healthy, this is a team that I have to think that has to be one of the favorites to make it out of the NFC. And let me say this. I think that the Saints have a better chance of making it to the Super Bowl than the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, I am not a really big believer in the Seattle Seahawks because they don't play defense. And unlike the Seahawks, the Saints actually know what defense is. They shut down the Buccaneers 38-3. If the Seattle Seahawks were to play the Buccaneers right now, it would be a shootout. Both teams would probably put up 40. So for the Saints, man, they're getting hot at the right time. And with that win against Temple Bay, not only did they put the rest of the NFL on notice and say, hey, not, not. Do you know that we we actually exist? Do you not know that we're actually one of the best teams in the NFL? The Saints put the lead on notice. Not only did they put the league on notice, but they also put themselves in position to get that number one overall seed in the NFC and end up having a first round bye when the applause kicks off and um the next couple of months or so. So for the Saints, I think the Saints are underrated Super Bowl contenders. Now their defense still. A little bit rocky, but they are getting better. Marshawn Lattimore hasn't been a player that he used to be a couple of years ago. He's kind of falling off. But overall, this is a pretty good team. Their offense is still really good. Their defense is still coming along as they start to get back fully healthy. This is a team that's getting hot at the right time. And what a lot of people got to remember is about football. Football is a game of momentum. Sometimes you can start the season out really hot, and then you can end the season out really cold. Sometimes you can end the season out really cold and end the season off really hot. And sometimes you can still be like the New Orleans Saints, be a really good football team, and people not even remember that you're a good team. So, I mean, it took for the Saints to destroy the Buccaneers 
on Sunday Night Football for us and myself included to remember that the Saints are actually a Super Bowl contender. And the reason for that is for the fact that they've been so injured and they haven't really played a lot of great teams over the last couple of weeks that we forgot that they're a really good football team. The last time I saw the Saints play, aside from this past Sunday, was against the LA Chargers on Monday Night Football when they almost lost to Justin Herbert. So for the Saints, this is a team that most definitely is the underrated Super Bowl contender that myself included needs to start paying a lot more attention to. Because I think they have a better shot of winning the Super Bowl than the Seahawks do. The Seahawks don't play defense. The Saints, at least they play some sort of defense. I mean, they can't be too bad defensively if they destroy the Buccaneers. And that's my fault because I've been kind of counting out the New Orleans Saints for the last couple of weeks. Didn't really trust their defense. I thought their offense was just doing enough to make it by. But now that they're getting fully healthy, as long as they remain to stay healthy, I think this is a team that's getting hot at the right moment. They could surprise a lot of people and make it to the Super Bowl. And what's odd is the fact that this really shouldn't be a surprise. Before the season began, like I stated earlier, a lot of people had the Saints pilsed in as a team to represent the NFC in this upcoming year's Super Bowl. So the Saints are getting hot at the right time. They destroyed the Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football. They, I mean, they dominated the Buccaneers. There's not really much you can say. Drew Brees was 26-32 passing for 222 passing yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Tom Brady, on the other hand, we thought Brady and the Buccaneers were hitting full stride. We thought they were clicking on all cylinders. And then they ran into a Saints team that went under the radar that a lot of us forgot about. And they got smashed. Tom Brady had three interceptions, no touchdowns. He was sacked three times. The New Orleans Saints dominated the Buccaneers in every stat possible. Time of possession, the Saints held the ball for 40 minutes in this game compared to the Buccaneers only having the ball for 19 minutes. Third down, 9-14 was how good the Saints were in converting on third down compared to the Buccaneers, 1-9 on third down. Total yards, the Buccaneers had 194 to the Saints 420. So the Saints dominated a really good Buccaneers team. A Buccaneers team that myself included were hopping on the bandwagon saying that, hey, this is a Buccaneers team that could make it to the Super Bowl and most likely win the Super Bowl. So... The fact that the Saints were able to just destroy and pick apart the Buccaneers team that a lot of us, before that game started, had penciled in as a Super Bowl favorite, I mean, it's really impressive. You have to give them props for that. In my opinion, I think they are the second best team in the NFC right now. So, I mean, you guys let me know how you guys feel about the Saints if you guys are watching this on YouTube, but I think the Saints are an underrated Super Bowl contender, and they put the league on notice. They woke a lot of people back up and said, hey, stop sleeping on us. We're a good team, too. We're a team that's right in the thick of things in terms of Super Bowl um, contenders, right in the Mac dab of the Super Bowl conversation. Don't forget about us. And trust me, I don't think anybody's going to forget about the New Orleans Saints after that beatdown that they put on the Buccaneers. What I'm about to say next is probably going to get a lot of hate and a lot of backlash from Seattle Seahawks fans. But I do not believe that the Seattle Seahawks are Super Bowl contenders. And I know a lot of Seahawks fans are going to disagree with that statement. They're going to say, JT, how are we not Super Bowl contenders when we have Russell Wilson, who is a front-runner to win the NFL MVP this year? We have one of the best offenses in the NFL. How are the Seahawks not Super Bowl contenders? And the reason why I don't believe the Seahawks are Super Bowl contenders is because they have a great offense, but they have a terrible defense. And in my eyes, a Super Bowl contender is a team that's great offensively and a team that's great defensively. Seattle's great offensively, but it seems like they don't care about defense at all. And having a great defense doesn't necessarily involve allowing the least amount of points and the least amount of yards. There are three ways that you can have a great defense. The first way you can have a great defense is that you just have an all-around great defense like the Chicago Bears and the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example. They're really good against the run. They're good against the pass. They can get pressure on the quarterback. They can get off the field on third down. They can create turns. They're just good all around defensively. The second way you can be good on defense is by having a bend but don't break defense. And a bend but don't break defense means that you can allow the opposing team that you're facing to get a lot of yards, but they don't score a lot of points. And when they get inside the 20, they're not going to be able to come away with touchdowns the majority of the time. They're going to end up walking away with field goals. So that's a bend but don't break defense. And the last way you can have a great defense is by being great situationally. 
being great on defense situationally means being able to get big turnovers when it matters the most, being able to get off the field on third down. That's what being great situationally is on defense. And Seattle isn't great in neither one of those categories defensively. And the argument that a lot of people probably want to make is about the 2018 Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody's going to say, well, JT in 2018, the Chiefs had one of the best offenses, if not the best offense in the NFL, and their defense was terrible. And that's where you're wrong. You see, stats-wise, the Kansas City Chiefs defense in 2018 was not good. But they were good in two important aspects. The first thing they were able to do good was the fact that they were able to get off the field on third down. They had the third best third down defense in the NFL, only allowing teams to convert on third down 45% of the time. They were also six in the NFL in points per game allowed that year, only allowing teams to score 20.6 points per game. Seattle isn't good in neither one of those categories. They're 30th in the NFL in points per game allowed, allowing 30.4 points per game. And they're 24th in the NFL and third down defense allowing teams to convert on third down 47% of the time. So the only thing Seattle's defense is really good at is stopping the run. And the only reason they're good at stopping the run is because teams don't need to run the football to beat Seattle. They can just throw the football. Why run the ball when you can just beat Seattle by throwing the football game because they can't stop it? And what's even more terrifying is the fact that Seattle has seven sacks against the Buffalo Bills and they still got torched for over 400 passing yards and three touchdowns by Josh Allen. Seven sacks. Any team that has seven sacks majority of the time, they're going to struggle to throw the football. They're going to struggle offensively. But Buffalo had no problem putting no points on Seattle's defense. Now, I'll give Russell Wilson didn't do Seattle's defense any favors because they um, turned the ball over four times. But even then, Okay, people can make the argument and say that, oh, JT, Seattle's been dealing with um, injuries all this year defensively. Okay, but even when Seattle was fully healthy, they were getting carved up by the Dallas Cowboys. They were getting carved up by the Atlanta Falcons. So even when Seattle was fully healthy, their defense was still terrible. You cannot expect to win the Super Bowl when you have a terrible defense. And I'm looking at Ken Norris Jr. right now. I think maybe if you're Pete Carroll, you may have to make a change. Okay, because you cannot expect to win the Super Bowl with this balance of defense. You cannot outscore every single team that you play in the NFL. The 2018 Kansas City Chiefs team may not have been the best defense statistically, but they were able to get stops when it mattered the most. They were able to get key stops on third down. They were able to keep teams from scoring over 30 points per game. Seattle isn't able to do that. Teams are being able to do whatever they want to do against Seattle. They don't have to run the football because they don't need to. So the fact that you have the fourth best run defense in the NFL means nothing because teams don't have to run the football to beat you. They can just throw the football to beat you. So you bring in Carlos Dunlap. He has a pretty good game against Buffalo in his first game as a Seahawk. You, you got a pass rush, but you don't have a secondary. And that's crazy because you have Dunbar. You have Jamal Adams. People were thinking this was going to be one of the best defense that Seattle could have since 2012-2013. And as a matter of fact, it happens to be one of the worst defense, not only in the NFL, but maybe this may be one of the worst defenses in NFL history. So how can you expect to win the Super Bowl with this defense? Explain to me that. How can you expect to win the, a Super Bowl when teams can score 30 points on you, when teams can put up almost 500 yards on you? That's not a Super Bowl caliber team to me. A Super Bowl caliber football team is a team that's good on both sides of the football. They're able to get stops defensively, and they're able to score. Seattle, they just play offense. Defense is non-existent. Defense is not even a thing in Seattle, it seems like. So for Seattle, I mean, yeah, you may be able to outscore some of the average or below average teams in the NFL. When you're facing a team that's actually good and you need your defense to bet you out, you need your defense to get a stop, they can't come through for you. The only thing Seattle's defense really is good at doing is forcing turnovers. But forcing turnovers is not the thing that you can rely on all the time. Because some games you're going to go without forcing a turnover, like you did against Buffalo. You turned the ball over four times, and Buffalo didn't turn the football over. That's why you lost. When you don't have a defense that can bail you out, when you turn the football over, that's not good. When you don't have a defense that can get stops at all, that's not good. So even if Seattle isn't turning the football over, and they play a game when they don't have any turnovers at all, your defense still isn't getting any stops. So for Seattle, and you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, and you're watching this like, 
How can you possibly consider this team a Super Bowl contender when you don't play defense? Defense wins championships. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you do. Defense is always going to matter. Look at last year in that Super Bowl against the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs, right? The difference between that game is when the 49ers defense in the fourth quarter, they got gassed, they got tired. Kansas City's defense stopped the 49ers offense in the fourth quarter. The 49ers couldn't do anything offensively against the Chiefs defense in the fourth quarter of that game in Super Bowl. Kansas City's defense, they stopped the 49ers offense. Eventually, the Kansas City Chiefs offense came on the field. The 49ers defense got gassed, they got tired, they couldn't get any stops, and they won the game. So for Seattle, I don't understand how you can expect to make it to the Super Bowl with no defense. And how, even if you do manage to somehow make it to the Super Bowl, how can you expect to win it? Okay, so you can't stop the pass. And the only way you can stop the run is because teams just don't need to run the football to beat you. So for the Seattle Seahawks, I do not consider this team a Super Bowl contender. Okay, and that may, that may sound crazy. That may sound like a hot take. But I think I gave you guys pretty valid points. You can't be a Super Bowl team if you don't have some kind of defense. You don't have to have the best overall defense in the NFL. You don't have to allow the least amount of points, the least amount of yardage in the NFL to have the best defense. But you at least have to be good in certain aspects to have a great defense. You have to be able to get off the field on third down. You have to be able to get stops in the red zone. And Seattle isn't good at either one of those things. So I do not think the Seattle Seahawks are a Super Bowl caliber football team. Okay? You're in the Super Bowl conversation because uh, people just care about records, and you're, you have like a 6-2 record, you have one of the best records in the NFL and in the NFC, but over time, your lack of defense is going to get exposed. Eventually, you're going to face a team that is going to be able to stop your offense, and your defense is going to be able to come through for you. So for the Seattle Seahawks, I don't understand how this team can be viewed as a Super Bowl contender when you're not playing defense. And defense still wins championships, whether you want to admit it or not. Now, do you have to have like a, what, 85 Bears-like defense or the still current defense to win the Super Bowl? No, you don't. But you at least have to be able to be good in some aspects. And Seattle isn't good at anything. They have one of the most talented defenses in the NFL, and they have nothing to show for it. Ken Nora Jr., if I'm Pete Carroll, I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, hey, man, look. I mean, what's going on, man? I mean, we got Jamal Adams. We improved the secondary. We get a pass rush. We got seven sacks against Buffalo, and we're still getting a torch. We still can't get any stops. So what? what is it? You get what I'm saying? And I understand that Seattle turned the ball over four times, but think about how bad this defense has been all season. Even when Russell Wilson doesn't turn the football over at all, this defense is still getting a torch the majority of the time. Against Atlanta, against Dallas, he was getting a torch. So, I mean, I don't get how Seattle can be considered a Super Bowl contender in the NFC if you don't play defense. That's just my opinion there. You're free to disagree with me. I know a lot of Seattle Seahawks fans are going to make up a lot of excuses. You're probably going to bring up injuries. But injuries don't really make a difference because even when you were fully healthy, your defense was still getting shredded by the Atlanta Falcons and the Dallas Cowboys. So injuries, my butt. You can make all the excuses in the world, but this defense is not good. And until this defense improves... I don't think the Seattle Seahawks are a Super Bowl contender. Now, what I'm about to say may be hard to believe for a lot of you guys out there, but the New York Giants still have a chance to make the playoffs. The New York Giants defeated the Washington football team this past Sunday, 23-20. And Daniel Jones had no turnovers. That's one of the first games I ever watched Daniel Jones play where he didn't turn the football over. And it's no coincidence that the New York Giants won. And when you look at the New York Giants, the majority of the games they played this season, aside from the game against the 49ers, which they lost 36-9, and the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers week one, every game they played has been pretty close. So if Daniel Jones continues to take care of the football, and he continues to play well and doesn't turn the football over, the Giants have a really good shot at making it to the playoffs. But as of right now, the Giants can still make it to the playoffs because this division is pretty much up for grabs. I mean, Philadelphia is 3-4-1. The Washington football team is 2-6. The Cowboys are 2-7. The Giants are 2-7. So all the Giants have to do is get hot at the right time. And they could surprise a lot of people making it to the playoffs. So don't count out the New York Giants. And I think this New York Giants team, at least this defense, 
is way, way better than what a lot of people are giving it credit for. Especially James Bradbury. James Bradbury has played like an all-pro this year, and he may not even get the recognition and the accolades that he deserves because he plays for the New York Giants, and everybody's just going to look at the New York Giants record. But James Bradbury has been absolutely outstanding this year. James Bradbury has been a top five, top ten cornerback in the NFL based on his performance alone this season. So for the New York Giants, they still have a good chance they can make it to the playoffs. And with the way this NFC East division is playing out, it's still up for grabs. I know Philadelphia is up by a game. They have that tied to 3 4 one but any team can win this thing. All it matters is which team can get hot at the right time and the right moment. And if the Giants continue to have a good play from Daniel Jones when he's not turning the football over, they're going to continue to get better. You see, the big reason why the Giants are losing is because they're in a lot of one-possession games. And the reason why they're losing these one-possession games is because Daniel Jones is making too many big mistakes and the big moments of those games, like against Tampa Bay, like against the Rams. If Daniel Jones doesn't turn the football over in those big situations, in those big moments, the Giants could have won those games. So as long as Daniel Jones continues to play good football like he did against Washington last week and he continues to take care of the football and not turn the football over, the Giants could surprise a lot of people and they could win this division. And I know that sounds crazy to say because going into this year, the speculation with the New York Giants was going to be that this was a team that was supposed to be rebuilding. Same thing with the Washington football team. But when you have an opportunity to make it to the playoffs, when this division is this bad, you got to take advantage of it. So for the Giants going forward, they could win this division. They could make it to the playoffs. I think the team that wins this division could possibly be 7-9, maybe 6-10 and 10 at worst. So for the Giants, if you're a Giants fan, there's still room for a lot of optimism. Okay, because this division doesn't look like they're going anywhere. It doesn't look like Philadelphia is going to do anything. Washington pretty much won't do anything. You already beat Washington twice this year, I believe. And the Cowboys, maybe they can turn the corner. They can turn the corner because they had a pretty good performance against Pittsburgh this past Sunday. But who knows, man? 2020, anything can happen. And what would be the best way to cap off this crazy year of 2020 by the New York Giants making it to the playoffs? That wouldn't be... Any better way to close out this crazy year than having the Giants win this division and make it to the playoffs? 2020, ladies and gentlemen, anything can happen this year. The Buffalo Bills defeated the Seattle Seahawks this past Sunday, 44-34. to And a lot of you Buffalo Bills fans were quick to let me know that I was wrong uh, about this game because I chose Seattle to get the victory. And Buffalo was really impressive against Seattle. Josh Allen balled out. He was 31-38 for 415 passing yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And what was more impressive about Josh Allen's performance is that his grandmother died like the night before the game, I believe. So rest in peace to Josh Allen's grandmother. I'm really sorry for his loss. And the fact that he was able to go out there and have the game that he had is really impressive because a lot of people seem to forget that football is more than just a game when you put on helmets and pads and you go and try to knock out the other guy. Like football is a mental game as well. Being mentally strong is a really important part of football. And I don't think a lot of people understand how hard it is and how mentally tough you have to be able to be to play a game dealing with a death. And I know there's always players during the season who have big games dealing with a loss, but the fact that it happened in the matter of the time that it did, like right before a big game, and the fact that Josh Allen was able to play through it and have the performance that he had is really encouraging, and it's really impressive. And Josh Allen balled out against Seattle, and the Seattle defense that already going in wasn't great. And now I have even more questions about the Seattle Seahawks defense. And although Seattle did have seven sacks in that game, it didn't really mean much because they couldn't get any stops. And I question Seattle's legitimacy when it comes to being a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Also, you got to realize that Russell Wilson turned the football over four times. Buffalo's defense played really well that game. Even though they did allow 34 points, they got turnovers when it mattered the most. And the turnover margin is always going to be a big reason of why a team will win or lose a game. 
It doesn't matter how great of offense you have. It doesn't matter who your quarterback is. If you're 4-0 in the turnover department or in the turnover margin, you're going to lose 9 out of 10 of the times. So for the Buffalo Bills, their defense had a really good performance. Neither one of these two teams were able to get the run game going. Both of these two teams were well um, under 100 yards rushing. So this was a passing display. But Seattle's secondary got exposed in this game. Seattle's secondary is awful. And I know Josh Allen balled out, but with Jamal Adams coming back, a lot of Seattle Seahawks fans were really um, excited about how good the secondary could be with him coming back. Jamal Adams coming back didn't really make all that big of a difference because their secondary was still terrible. You have to give um, Ken Norton Jr. the eyebrow. Maybe it's time for Pete Carroll to part ways to make a change at a defensive coordinator position. But Seattle still has a lot of problems. And the fact that they were able to get pressure on Josh Allen, they had seven sacks in this game, and despite having seven sacks this game, they still got destroyed in the passing game. So Seattle has a lot of problems defensively, a lot of personnel issues, a lot of things that had to be figured out pretty fast, quick, and in a hurry because we're in the middle of the playoff race right now. And if Seattle's defense doesn't get things taken care of, they could easily find themselves riding in a wild card game instead of having that first round bye. And I've been telling people, I said, listen, I don't believe Seattle's the best team in the NFC. And I got a lot of pushback from that. And I said, listen, you can't call yourself the best team if you don't play both sides of the football. If you can't play defense, but you have a great offense, that doesn't make you a great football team. In my opinion, a great football team is a team that's balanced, a team that's great both offensively and a team that's great defensively. And the Seattle Seahawks only play one. It doesn't matter if you, listen, Seattle seems like they only care about playing offense and they just super sim defense. Like for those of you guys who play Madden, for those of you guys who only care about playing offense, I know there's a lot of people out there that only play offense and don't care about defense. The Seattle Seahawks, this is real life. This is the NFL. You can't call yourself a Super Bowl caliber football team if you only play on offense and you don't give a hoot about defense. Defense wins championships at the end of the day. And for Seattle, it seems like they forgot about that. So for the Buffalo Bills, you got to give a round of applause to them. That is a great victory. I'm really intrigued to see what they do in the next couple of weeks because they do have a, still a really tough schedule. They pretty much have the second toughest schedule in the NFL in terms of how hard their second half of their season is. You got to play my Pittsburgh Steelers in the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited for that game. That could potentially be the game of the year. That could be the game that decides how the playoffs is going to unfold. That's going to decide who ends up getting that number one overall seed that has the home field advantage um, throughout the playoffs. Really interested in seeing the Buffalo Bills the next couple of weeks and seeing if they can keep up the momentum. But for the Buffalo Bills, great win. I'm really sad about the loss of Josh Allen's grandmother. I hope he's able to get through it. Hope everything goes well with him in the next couple of weeks. And for the Seattle Seahawks, man, I still have a lot of questions about that defense because you can't be great offensively and not play defense because teams that do that, the majority of the time, they don't win the Super Bowl a lot of the time. And while we're on the topic of talking about the Detroit Lions, I want to talk about how I would rebuild the Detroit Lions franchise. Now, when you talk about rebuilding the Lions, there's two ways you can go about it, okay? You could just trade everybody in the offseason get draft picks, and then try to build your team through the draft. Or you could try to win right away with the roster that the Lions have. If you bring in the right head coach and you bring in the right staff, I think the Lions are a playoff caliber football team if they're able to add two or three more key pieces through the draft or through free agency in next year's offseason if they bring in the right head coach. Now, I said the same thing about the Atlanta Falcons. I said that the Atlanta Falcons, despite the injuries that they have, if they have the right head coach, they could be a playoff caliber team. And when you look at Raheem Morris, the interim head coach for the Falcons right now, ever since he's taken over, the Falcons have been 3-1. So the Lions aren't a bad team in terms of they don't have any talent because they really do. They may be the best, worst team in the NFL. Okay, and what I mean by the best, worst team in the NFL, I mean they may be the most talented team in the NFL that has a bad record. So for any head coach, if somebody was to ask you, if you're a head coach and be like, hey, why would you want to coach the Detroit Lions? 
The first thing would be Matthew Stafford. Now, I know how a lot of Detroit Lions fans aren't really all that hard Matthew Stafford, and you want to part ways with Matthew Stafford. But for a new head coach, a guy that's looking to take a head coaching job, Matthew Stafford would be appealing. Because one thing that you don't really see from coaches that go to new teams the majority of the time, they have to work with a young quarterback. They have to spend their first couple of years developing a quarterback. So for the Detroit Lions, Matthew Stafford will be a plus because you have a proven veteran that can still produce at a pretty high level. And regardless of what you Detroit Lions fans want to say about Matthew Stafford, Matthew Stafford is still a good enough quarterback that he can get you to the playoffs. Matthew Stafford isn't to the point in his career that he's just unserviceable. He shouldn't be starting. You can still win and go to the playoffs with Matthew Stafford as your quarterback. So that's a plus. A lot of coaches nowadays, sometimes they don't want to work with a young quarterback because sometimes it just may not work out. Like you saw with Ron Rivera and Washington. Dwayne Haskins and Ron Vera, they simply didn't mesh. You kind of see it with Joe Judge and Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones hasn't really been all that great. Maybe they could replace Daniel Jones in the offseason. So if you have a head coach that comes in and sees Matthew Stafford as a veteran that is good enough to fit what he wants to do offensively, you can win. You don't have to go ahead and trade Matthew Stafford and try to draft a quarterback. You could draft a quarterback for the future when Matthew Stafford gets ready to hang up the cleats in the next two or three years and have your insurance policy once Matthew Stafford ends up um, retiring or he goes down for injury. So for Detroit, if you have the right head coach that comes in there, you can win with the roster that you have right away. Then you can um, address a couple of needs in the NFL draft, get a pass rusher, or you could sign one of free agency, maybe get some more help at the secondary position, like at cornerback, maybe get some help at the offensive line, maybe bring in another wide receiver to pair up with Kenny Galladay. But either way, you don't have to go in and just simply rebuild the Detroit Lions by just trading everybody away, trading Matthew Stafford, and trying to do what the Miami Dolphins have done for the last couple of years, just stacking draft picks and building through the draft. You could go that route, but you really don't need to if you just hire the right guy. But either then. If the Detroit Lions don't want to try to win for the guys they have right now, they want to say, you know what? We don't care about making it to the playoffs. We want to build through the draft. And we want to try to have a team that's built to dominate this division for the next five, six years. We don't care about winning right away. We're willing to have two bad seasons of losing, and we rather build through the draft like the 49ers did and then bringing in marquee for agents. So if you want to take that route, and you want to go against the first option that I suggested, trying to win right away, okay, you can bring in a head coach that says, you know what, let's blow up this team, let's try to rebuild through the draft, and try to bring in some younger guys through free agency. So you get rid of Matthew Stafford, or you keep Matthew Stafford, whatever. Maybe, hey, you get rid of Kenny Galladay. Maybe you don't want to extend Kenny Galladay. You get rid of him, and you just blow up this roster. So what would be the first thing that Detroit should do? So anytime you rebuild a team, the first thing that you have to do in a rebuild, if you're blowing up a roster, is you have to draft the quarterback with the first-round selection. I think that's pretty key to anything. So... There's a lot of options to choose from this year and this year's quarterback class. This may be the best quarterback class we've had in a very long time. And that's coming from a 2020 draft class that had a pretty good slew of quarterbacks. Tua has been pretty good. Joe Burrow has been pretty good. Herbert has been pretty good. We still have yet to see Jalen Hurts or Jordan Love take the field. But for so far, this has been a pretty good quarterback class. And next year's quarterback class in 2021 is going to be even better because you have Zach Wilson from BYU. You have Kyle Trask, Mac Jones, guys who aren't going to be top 10 picks, but they could be pretty good top 15 selections. Those are three guys who could go in the first round. They could be on franchise caliber quarterbacks if in the right situation. You got Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Those are the three big main hitters that the Detroit Lions should look to target if they look to rebuild. Because let's face it, the Detroit Lions are probably much going to be in a position that they're going to have either a top five or a top 10 pick in next year's draft. So you should be in a pretty good spot to draft um, at least one of those guys. Now, you may not be in the position to draft um, Trevor Lawrence or maybe Justin Fields, but you could be in a position that you could draft um, the other four guys I mentioned, like a Trey Lance, a Mac Jones, a Kyle Trask, or a Zach Wilson. All those guys would be a pretty good fit to start a franchise with. Okay, so then after you do that, then you go ahead and you address the off the line. I mean, I'm talking about what I would do if I was rebuilding the Detroit Lions. So you got your GM, you got your head coach. Next thing I would do is I will focus 
in the trenches. You can't win football games if you can't dominate up front. A lot of Lions fans keep talking about how they need more wide receivers. They need better cornerbacks. Listen, if you can dominate up front and you're good at the line of scrimmage, at the defensive line, on the offensive line, everything else wouldn't matter because if you have a defensive line that can dominate, that can get pressure on the quarterback, then your cornerbacks aren't going to have to be in coverage all that long. If you have an offensive line that can give Matthew Stafford at least four to five seconds to throw, then the wide receivers are going to have more time to create separation. They're going to have more time to get open. So if you're able to win at the line of scrimmage and you're able to dominate up front, everything else will come naturally to you. Everything will be a little bit more easier. Now, you can still look to address those positions, which I still would, but I think the first thing I will focus on after I address the quarterback situation for the Detroit Lions and I get my franchise quarterback of the future, I will make sure that the Detroit Lions are stout up front because football is one of the loss in the trenches nowadays. Once I address that, Okay, then I focus on the skill positions. Like, I focus on wide receiver. I focus on cornerback. I focus on the secondary. That's how I would rebuild the Detroit Lions. So, there's two options for how I would go about rebuilding the Detroit Lions. The first option would be option A. I don't rebuild the Detroit Lions at all. I bring in the right head coach that knows how to win right away. And I draft or I bring in a couple of key guys in free agency or during the draft. Two, three pieces that can help this team become a playoff team right away because like I said earlier, the Detroit Lions roster as of right now isn't bad. They're bad because of coaching. They're not bad because they just don't have enough talent. If they bring in the right coach, they can win right away given they bring in two or three more additional pieces. Or you can go option B, you can go ahead and you say what? We don't care about winning right away. We know that at best we may not be a Super Bowl team. What's the use of going to the playoffs just to lose? So okay, you bring in the coach and the general manager that's under the agreement that, hey, this is going to take a rebuild process. We're going to rebuild this year. And with the fact that you're most likely going to have a top 10 or a top 5 pick, you're going to be in a position to get a good quarterback. And there are a lot of good quarterbacks entering the 2021 NFL draft class this year. So you draft the quarterback with that potential top 5, top 10 pick selection. Okay, then you focus on building your team for the next season or the next two years or so up front making sure that you have a really good team on the line of scrimmage. So make sure that you improve the off the line. Make sure that you improve the defensive line. That's I'm just talking about what I would do. Remind you, I'm not talking about what anybody else should do. This is how I would rebuild the Detroit line. So I will focus up front. The key to winning in the NFL is being able to win the line of scrimmage. If you can't win the line of scrimmage, you already lost the game there. So once I build up the Detroit lines to the point that they're pretty good up front on both sides of the football, then I would go bring in some help at the wide receiver position, pair up a guy with Kenny Galladay, bring in some more cornerbacks, maybe bring in a couple of more linebackers as well. And that's how I would rebuild the Detroit Lions. If somebody was to ask me, hey, JT, come in here and help us rebuild the Detroit Lions. Those are the two options that I would go in terms of rebuilding the Detroit Lions. So either you could try to win right away, option A, or option B, you say, hey, man, we may be able to make it to the playoffs, but we're not going to be a Super Bowl caliber team. So let's try to build this team through the draft. Let's try to get younger. That's how I will rebuild the Detroit Lions.